0: Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side, check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset today. Hi, everyone. Today I'm speaking with the fabulous Caitlin Fisher. They made one of the biggest pivots that people living with a chronic illness often make leaving corporate and becoming self employed. We talk about what it's like to take that step, as well as asking for accommodations and communicating with a boss that understands little to nothing about someone with a chronic illness. Caitlin also talks about having the courage to leave an abusive marriage overcome an eating disorder, and cultivating a deep sense of self-trust and confidence. Their story is inspiring to anyone who feels like they're in a deep hole they desperately want to get out of, but feel like they can't. And don't miss our conversation at the end about perfectionism and the first steps to finding your passion. Caitlin was so much fun to talk to. And as always, go to andreahansencoaching.com to find out more information about Caitlin, other resources we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals, but I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path, I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. This means that there may be some adult language, sensitive topics, and possible triggers for listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm here today with Caitlin Liz Fisher. They are an anti-capitalist creativity coach, author, and podcaster on a mission to help people in the neurodivergent, disabled, and queer communities get in touch with their deep-down dreams and break the rules that tell us all that we have to hustle. After a lifetime of hustle and burnout, Caitlin was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in 2019 and is also autistic and has ADHD. So between chronic illness, neurodivergence, and the audacity to advocate for themselves in the workplace, they quit their corporate job in 2020 and have been coaching creatives ever since. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. So excited. I was stalking you online, as one does. got had to go see what the vibe is. That's right. That's right. And I was so super excited because I saw so many things that I think people are really going to resonate with, so many different perspectives, and I just cannot wait to pick your brain about something.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, please pick my brain.
0: (laughs) Love it. So one thing that I think most people, especially here in the States, can vibe with is this hustle culture. You were in corporate, right? Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, I was in marketing. I was a content manager for a multi-million dollar national reach household products brand. It's a greenhouse. So lots of flowers and plants and stuff like that.
0: So it seems nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It se- seems nice. Uh, you can go like, look at the flowers and all this stuff and like play with the plants. And like one perk was free plants, which was very nice. But the the anti-perk was the workload and the fact that like marketing just sort of got like bombarded with to do's from people and like nobody followed the process to give us enough time to do it it was always like i need this right now and it was it was very frustrating
0: yeah yeah it you know i had this i worked in in corporate for a while and it's so funny when you work for a company that from the outside seems really cool like yeah. i get free plants and it's so nice and I thought it was the same way and uh then you peel back the layers and you look at kind of what your day to day actually looks like. Yeah. And it's overwhelm and hustle and competition and getting things out. It is. And a giant red flag to watch for
1: is we treat you like a family. Cause like it was, it was family owned. Right. And that really appealed to me as like a person who didn't like big corporate structure stuff. I've actually only. I think worked full time for family owned companies and one of them got bought out by a corporation. So I can tell you that like both sides of that sucks. I am not cut out for employee life. I just, mm -mm, I, I show up with a lot of audacity and bosses hate me. So that, that did not jive well, but yeah, being part of the family meant like do, do what we say like right now, like you don't need your procedures because we need our uh, personal Christmas cards made by the department.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that one of the interesting things, and it certainly happened with me, is that this idea of going and working the nine to five and being in whatever environment it is. It doesn't matter if it's huge corporation, family owned, you know, free gifts. Like I worked at a company that worked with celebrities and we got like free tickets everywhere. Fantastic. Oh, wow. that's, and-
1: that's nice.
0: Yeah. See? Yeah. See? I was it like, it's nice. The
1: price of your sanity.
0: It's the price of your sanity. And it can really, it can creep up. And so it can be really hard, especially, I mean, it's hard for anybody because we always have, everybody has circumstances, everybody has things. Yeah, It can be especially hard for people who have a chronic illness or who are soon to be diagnosed with yes. a chronic illness.
1: Yeah. And I ran into a lot of that in my My final job, let's call it, because I don't think I'm ever gonna go back to a nine to five. So in my final job, arm like the manager who hired me in quit because she got hustled to death and she had to leave for her well-being. And then we got a new manager. And like in my very first meeting with him, he was like, Can you come into the office five days a week? Because I had two work from home days. I like alternated, I think I worked from home on Tuesdays and Fridays or something. Part of that was like, like I was hired in with that as a promise. Like, Hey, we know like you live like a little bit further away. So like we can, we're very flexible with work from home. And then I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so those work from home days became very important to me to like maintain my body and not have to be like commuting all the time. Cause it was, it was a kind of a long drive and just like right out of the gate. He's like, can you come in full time? And I was like, no, (laughs) like those are, those are accommodations. Like I require those days. And like, that's part of my employment here. And I felt kind of embarrassed because I started to cry in the meeting because I was like very upset. He just came in. He was like, hi, nice to meet you. I don't care about your needs. And that upset me like a great deal.
0: Really? Why was that upsetting?
1: Uh, Right. I wonder why. Uh, That sounds just normal. And it was, I mean, it was really like dehumanizing because. He didn't understand why I had work from home days. And he actually, we later figured out, he thought that those of us with work from home days were only working part-time. Like he thought we weren't working from home. He assumed we were just off those days. And I'm like, I literally track my hours. I am as productive or more productive than I am from home. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that. Why didn't you ask anyone? So he just comes in. And sort of ruined my day. And he he really like did not understand sort of like the the balance, like the need for that.
0: A lot of people have no idea.
1: It was it was a lot. So for those reasons and many more, I eventually quit in the middle of a pandemic. So that was great. (laughs) Wow, yeah. Yeah. And he was totally floored when I left too. And I was like, we've been having like conflicts for like a year. And he's like, I thought that was water under the bridge. And I'm like, it was masking like you, 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 I can't tell you about the autism because you'd freak out, but like acting.
0: And let's just as a side note, you don't have to tell him, right? Like, right. We don't need to go into to our employers and be like, hey, before you hire me, let me just let you know. <laughs> right. I'm disabled in, in these ways. My hunch is you say they didn't like me and I was a bad employee or whatever, but I'm like, no, you weren't. You were just advocating for yourself.
1: Yeah. But self-advocacy looks like being a problem yeah, in the workplace yeah. a lot, especially the more you diverge from, like, the norm. So, you know, like, I'm very queer, and they sort of, like, pretended that that didn't exist. I'm like, I have a bunch of facial piercings and, a, like, a side shave. Like, you should know. But <laughs> um, I am fat. I am femme. I wasn't out as non-binary until, like, my like later in my career there so i was assumed a woman and like when you step out of line in like any of those things like you get sort of more punished for deviating from the norm and it was it was rough like i tried to sort of like diversify our department when i was hiring um for people under me i was like i don't like that we're just a bunch of like it was mostly like thin white people who worked in our department and i was like i want what more types of people but we were kind of in like a rural area and the applicants like weren't there. And that was a big disappointing thing. And then actually like my final straw moment was sort of an internal blow up over Black Lives Matter. We were banned from posting anything about it, like on social media. And they were like, no, the company can't support that. And I was like, oh, well, then I I can no longer work for you. I'm out. Bye. It made It made it easy. It made it very
0: easy. You know, I'm so interested. I mean, I'm always fascinated with the mindset, you know, hence this podcast. But when you were there and you were dealing with that before that last moment where you were like, "Okay, I'm out. Walk me through your mindset. Walk me through what you were trying to do and how you were handling what your days look like.
1: So like in general, I was I was fairly unhappy, like the moment that like this new manager came on board and. I am a very forgiving, nurturing, let's give this person a chance kind of person. So I was like, you know, I'm going to give him like six months to get his his feet under him. But after six months, he really hadn't like mastered any of like our branding or like anything that we did, like the brand integrity of the product and stuff. And he was suggesting just really sort of like off the wall things. And sometimes there's a time and a place for that. But like, you know, we had standards. And he would just come in and be like, let's do this thing. And we would have to explain to him why that didn't make
0: any sense. You had standards, right? right. As far as what you wanted to put up with, because, you know, this is a relationship. This is somebody in your orbit.
1: Right. And it, I was doing a lot of like personal assisting for him. Like I was sort of making sure that he had all of the necessary inside scoop on everything, like before he went into a meeting so that he didn't say something that upper management was like, why are you doing this? And it started to feel like I was babysitting him a bit. And so after about six months, I started like disengaging from that and like putting up a little more distance. Now my counterpart, she had been there like a a year or two longer than me. And she is a little bit more prickly and not a teddy bear nurturing, let me help you with this. So she had like put that distance up with him quite early. She had really good boundaries. And I was like, You get like six months of like I will be your friend and then my boundaries and like that was a mistake, so that that taught me to have boundaries.
0: I yeah, that's so funny. I was thinking about this the other day. When we are in certainly relationships like this, like at your job or it happened to me recently with someone that I had hired to do some work at my house. It's not that we're doormats. It's not that we're getting just run over. It's that we want to try to keep the peace both for us. And for the relationship. And maybe you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe. And sometimes, especially when it ends up to where you're like, okay, no, they they failed the <laughs> they failed the business. right. Like your your probationary period of like exactly. <laughs> Probation is over. And then you start thinking, well, crap, I shouldn't have even done that. But I think, you know, sometimes it's us trying to just do self-preservation of I just need yeah. to make this better for myself while I'm waiting. And then the boundaries. The boundaries had already gone up, but now it's like, okay, let's put them up a little bit more.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, my, my counterpart in the department and I had gone to our boss's boss with like some issues. And we're like, look, like we have sort of like these, these eight numbered 95 theses of like, what's, what the problem is. And we talked to him, we had a couple conversations with him and he was like, I'll work on this with him. You you know, talk to him, like, be clear. Maybe, you know, we're going to, we can fix this. Right. And some of the things were like, he was chronically late, which got sort of like brushed aside. It's like, well, we're kind of like a, we're not that strict about, about starting times. And I'm like, he will, he will show up 20 minutes late to a 30 minute meeting and ask if he missed anything. Like that's, that's, that's not two minutes. Cause like I ran over, but
0: so finally, like this, the probationary period is over yeah. and your boundaries are up. And then the whole thing happens where you're like, that's it. I'm yeah. out of here. I think that is something that is such a, a brave thing because I'm the same way. I left corporate culture. Congratulations. A lot of people want to especially again, when they're dealing with some kind of a chronic illness and they're in a culture that doesn't quite understand, or they don't even feel like they can talk to them yeah, and help them understand. That is, it's a big leap.
1: It's, it's huge. It's enormous. And it can be very scary.
0: How were you, were you already thinking of where you were going to go next or were you like, that's it. And then all of a sudden, okay, now what do I do? What did that look like for you? A
1: little bit of both. So I decided in early June 2020, like I want to say it was like June 5th or 6th or 7th, like the first week of June, we had this blow up over Black Lives Matter. And that was when that was after George Floyd was murdered. So like Black Lives Matter was everywhere. And like lots of brands were standing up and like yada, yada, yada. So um, that happened. Then, and I told myself, like, okay, I'm going to apply to all of the jobs. Like, I am leaving this place by the end of June. And I gave myself a deadline that, like, with or without a job, I was giving my notice by June 30th. And I applied to, I want to say, like, 80 jobs. It was so many. I had a couple cover letters that went out with, like, other jobs, like, referred to in them because, like, I was copying and pasting so much. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and. and I got like a few like emails back that were like, Hey, like you're super interesting. Like, we really like you. We're going to keep you on file, but like, we're going and like, you know, we want somebody with a little more of this or a little bit of that. And I was trying to make the leap into nonprofit communication. So I was like, Okay, I'm not doing this family owned nonsense anymore. I'm not doing corporate culture. I will go into nonprofits because nonprofits are good, right?
0: They have their problems just like everything else. We don't have video on this podcast, but. Caitlin can yeah. see me. <laughs> yeah, there, there, was,
1: there was a phase. So I'm applying to all these jobs. I'm like, yeah, I can do marketing and communications for a, a nonprofit. Like, it'll be awesome. I'm applied to like feminist organizations and like teaching girls to write and like be empowered and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, And I was super jazzed about all of it and didn't get any interviews like 80 jobs. No interviews. I was a little miffed, but that's OK. It's it was a pandemic. It's hard especially when you're looking for a remote job. And so your competition is the entire country. Right. Or even like.
0: Or even the world.
1: Internationally. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like just people in Akron, Ohio have applied to this job, you know, where I might stand out a little bit more. But uh, yeah. So that didn't pan out. And I was like, all right, well, it's it's June 30th. So I gave him uh, my notice. And I did, I will say, I gave a four-week notice so that I could like bank a couple more paychecks. like. I gave them a long lead time and just started saving like as much money as I possibly could so that I would have sort of a little nest egg. And I did end up getting a job with a nonprofit. It was like a contractor role. So I was freelancing for a nonprofit doing their communications. And I actually went back to them uh, in 2021 again and helped with their communications for this event that they do in the fall. And I might help out again this year. I'm I'm not sure yet. And they're not sure yet. So, you know, they got to figure out budget and I got to figure out if I have the availability because my business is taking off because I just started a business because that's what I did.
0: That's fantastic. Another thing that I love how you were like, you know, I quit my job. I started a business. <laughs> like I, I applied to 80 companies and nobody wanted to interview me, which is fine. I love it because to me, like that is that is like the essence of your mindset. It's like this this resilience and this confidence of like I just I'm actually just quite
1: did it. amazed at my confidence regularly because I used to be, so I don't think we've talked about this at all, but I was in an abusive marriage. Uh, and I also had emotionally abusive parents. So I have a long history of abuse and trauma. And when I was in that marriage, it was like a seven year relationship. We were married for like, A year and a half of seven years so we were like dating a long time and we lived together for about four and i was very like meek and mild and small and unconfident and depressed when i was with him and i i didn't really have confidence in like my abilities he sort of took credit for some of them he was like i'm making you a good writer because he like introduced me to a freelance contact. And so I started freelance writing. And that's actually eventually how I made the leap into marketing full-time. I don't have a marketing degree at all. I have a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in higher education administration. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Now I'm a, an anti-capitalist creative coach. So sure. Thanks for the student debt. Uh, yeah, but he, he did not want me to shine. And so I actually got on antidepressants after Carrie Fisher died, interestingly, because she was like such a mental health advocate. And so I was seeing like all of like her posts over and over again, like popping up about how mental health medication changed her life. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it for Carrie. And so I went and I got on antidepressants and like almost three months to the day, I think after I started them, I left him. Hmm. And that's been four years now since I left. And it has been Totally incredible. I'm in an amazing relationship. Like I do not suffer someone who will like neg me. (laughs) It's like it is only good supportive people in my circle now. And I have much stronger boundaries, especially now that I've left that job. So (laughs) you know, those like the last holdout of like terrible boundaries was that boss. But yeah, so I've like started a business. My partner's really supportive of that. And it it's incredible. It's, it has really allowed me to flourish when I'm not in a relationship where I have to be like, I have to let him be more interesting than me. Like, otherwise he'll be mad.
0: Talk to us about how you went from that to what I see in front of me, which is confident and spunky and shiny. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm, I have such like an incredible self-concept now. And it's such a gift because like, I didn't have it for 30 years and I just turned 34. And like, since I turned 30, it's been going up. How did you start? It was gradual. I didn't like, as soon as I left, I wasn't like, okay, and now I'm incredible. But like, I will say there was a lot of like Kesha music and a lot of like, really like empowering sort of like femme power that I was like putting, putting myself into. I was getting like photo shoots done of myself. I have a friend who's a photographer and she put me into her Cleveland badass like photo series that she was doing and I just kept sort of doing things that like took me out of my comfort zone I did have a a relationship that lasted for like about a year I met this partner like just weeks after I left and it was supposed to be like you know a fling whatever and I was like oh like I really like you he really likes me but we ended up moving in together which was pretty short-lived because the the shiny excitement like kind of wore off for him And he realized he didn't actually want like a live-in partner. And he also, I entered eating disorder recovery Mm -hmm. in like February 2019-ish. So I realized I had a lifelong eating disorder. I'm just like, I'm just going to keep dumping all my my, like sad story into this podcast. I'm like, oh, did I mention this? Did I mention that?
0: And that's part of what I love is that it's all in how we look at it, right? It's all in... How we break things down. And you're obviously very introspective, and you've gone through and looked at a lot of this. And so, yes, you can have a lot of stuff happening, but this is such a great example of you're the one who decides what yeah. that's going to mean for you.
1: That's it's a very powerful decision to make. I would say a lot of my confidence probably started kind of more skyrocketing after eating disorder recovery, actually, because I stopped hating my body. So. I was raised very diet culture, very fat phobic. My mother put me on diets like when I was very young, like 12, 13, 14, I started dieting. And so I have damage (laughs) from that. And I, I lost close to 100 pounds and looked like miserable. Like when I look at photos of myself at the time, I would have said that I was like glowing and confident. But. I look like if you asked me how I was doing, I would burst into tears and pass out. Like I just looked so tired and just so empty. And now I'm like, look at like my little chubby cheeks. I love them. Like they're rosy. I feel really good in my body, even though it's larger, because I have done so much work to like, let go of that part of my life. And like, when 80% of your thought processes are about, I need to lose weight. I need to exercise today. I need to watch what I eat. Oh, I need to make sure I drink my water. Like seriously, my whole life was about losing weight. And it turns out when you stop making your life about losing weight, you can make your life about a lot more cool stuff. Yeah. And like, it was like a void. Like, and what, what rushed to fill where that was, was like self-love and Ideas and creativity, and like loving myself, and I was like, "Oh, cool, great! I'm never going to count a calorie again in my life because, like, this is way better."
0: Right? Yeah. It you know it it just goes to show when we focus on something, even if we think what we're focusing on is quote good for us or society has said it's good for us, it's going to be what creates our life. Like you said, eighty percent of your thoughts. We're going to. I mean, it it can consume us and actually work against us
1: like and i like some exercise like i love to stretch and do yoga and that even helps with my chronic pain like it, my pain settles in like my low back and my hips a lot so when i do like a little bit of yoga that really loosens that up and like stretches out my legs and that's awesome and we just got a dog a month ago so now i'm like walking and i did have to like work up to like being able to take her on longer walks and that's something i've struggled with as well because i used to run Mm -hmm. and i've run two half marathons and like that's a lot of running like you have to train a lot so i was regularly doing like four six eight mile runs like in the morning before i ate which please eat everyone (laughs) everyone listening to this please eat uh, especially before you go run eight miles like i would eat a normal breakfast which was a weight loss meal replacement shake right Mm. And I'd be like, why am I so hungry? And it's like, because you just ran eight miles, you fool. Please have a sandwich. So well, that's a whole other struggle. But yeah, bringing this back to like it it just it's all consuming. And so now what's all consuming is like I wake up in the morning. And I'm like, my life is amazing. And I'm so happy I get to live it. That fabulous. changes everything. If you think that every single morning, like you have no option but to be thrilled about your life. Yes,
0: yes. I used to run a lot too. I loved running until I didn't, I think is just getting older and creakier, but it's the idea. And I love that you're doing this. It's this idea of used to do all of this stuff and now maybe we can't because of things like our chronic illness or other factors in our lives. And you don't have to mourn the loss of the fact that you're not running anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, man, I used to love running and I can still remember you get that runner's high and it's real and I still can like feel what my body felt like when I was running. But fast forward to now, that's not going to feel the same way. <laughs> that's not going to be like if I started running, that would not be the same experience. And it's OK because there's other things that you love doing.
1: Yeah, that's a really good reframe of it because I've definitely struggled with the like I used to. I used to run half marathons. I used to do this. And I would say it to myself negatively. I would say it like when I get winded or like whatever. But it's, I didn't, I was undiagnosed with fibromyalgia at the time. I actually used to think that my pain was proof of my workouts working. So that was, that was rough. (laughs) When I like, when I entered eating disorder recovery, I stopped exercising. So I was like, okay, like we are in a rest period. Like I just need to like let my body know that it's safe. We're going to, eat some cereal and not freak out about it. Uh, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to not punish my body with exercise. And it turns out that my body still hurt all the time. And I was like, oh, okay, something else is happening here. And I got a fibro diagnosis and like pain meds and that the ex-boyfriend I talked about, he was very diet culturey. So like, he fell in love with me because we were workout buddies like that's what he wanted and so when i started when i stopped dieting basically and stopped working out he pretty quickly was like so i'm i'm actually like no longer really like attracted to you you're you're kind of pushing like my upper weight limit of attractiveness and i'm like that sounds like a you problem yeah which was like kudos to me for that right yes that could have relapsed me like immediately So I'm like in ED recovery for three weeks and he hits me with like you're too fat. And I'm like, I don't like you you anymore. You're not great. Thank
0: you. Right. Thank you for saying that and for showing me that
1: Yeah. But he, as I was getting my fibro diagnosis, was like kind of like crocodile tears, like crying. And he's like, I just I just hate to see you in pain and not doing anything about it. And I'm like, I'm on meds. I bought a new car and I got a new mattress. Like, you're just mad I'm not working out. (laughs) Call it what it is, because you're being a
0: doofus right now, yeah. So fast forward, you are not incorporate. You are opening your business, yes, and you are finding out about the fibro, and you are looking at kind of this whole new world. Mm-hmm. And also, what I wanted to what what I love is that you bring to the table this this perspective of being. Neurodivergent. Yes. So talk to me about that. What is the the mindset look like with having a chronic illness, which is everyone listening knows that that is no small thing and impacts daily. You're looking at getting your own business started, which is a whole thing in itself. Mm -hmm. And you're also, were you already diagnosed? Did you already know?
1: So I am... I do not have an official autism diagnosis. There's actually a lot of structural barriers to being diagnosed when you are female or assumed female, assigned female, because it doesn't present the same way that it does in young boys. So there's a lot of sort of barriers to that. And already having dealt with like barriers to chronic illness treatment and everything, I was like, you know what? I know it and that's good enough for me. Like, there's only so many times you can read about autism and be like, oh, I do all of that. Yeah. Before you're just sort of like, okay. And it turns out that self-diagnosis is quite valid within the autistic community because, like, we get it. We're like, yeah, I get it that you don't want to go to
0: the doctor for that because the doctors suck. A lot of science still and things that diagnoses are based on were based on research done with men. Yes. And so it's hard. Because we have different symptoms.
1: And also because of like the socialization of young girls to be nurturing. Like, you know, look back to the way I acted with my boss is I was like, okay, I will meet your needs. Here you go. I will go outside my job to meet your needs for you because you are the authority figure, I guess, whatever. And that also comes from like a traumatic past, right? Because if I was useful, I was valued. And my counterpart at work did not have that traumatic childhood. She had boundaries.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not that you, not that you
1: know. (laughs) No, I've grown mine, but I had to like grow my boundaries like a chia pet. I was like, okay, we're just going to smear some goo on here and eventually it'll grow into boundaries. Um, Yeah. But with, with autism, there's, there's a lot of barriers for people who were socialized as girls because like we were sort of taught to be, polite. Um, We were taught to sort of fawn instead of like, it's the same with ADHD. Like I, I, I do have an ADHD diagnosis and those meds are a godsend.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's what I've, that's
1: what I've heard. yeah. Yeah. It's, it was night and day. Like when I finally got on medication that actually worked for me, I was like, Oh, 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 do people just wake up like this? Like it was like like the background like fan in my head got turned off and I could hear. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that fan was on. So hooray for ADHD. But I have the lovely like, co-mingling of ADHD and an autistic neurotype. So like, I actually think that makes me really well-suited to my business because as a coach, mm-hmm. I can see patterns in things. And I can make associations that other people might miss. And it turned out that a lot of my clientele are also chronically ill and neurodivergent. And so that sort of become my unintentional niche is that I coach neurodivergent and disabled creatives.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, who do we attract, right? Especially when it comes to getting clients. That's why when I first started working with clients, I worked with a lot of people with MS. Because I had MS and people feel comfortable going because they know that you understand.
1: Right. That's so much of it. Like I've had many of my clients be like, I am just in like a bad flare. Can we reschedule? And I'm really flexible with that because like, yeah, I get it. And we can like speak a lot of the same language. Like we share a lot of the same experiences and stories because... You know, I can speak really easily to internalized ableism because I have dealt with that and am, am constantly working through that. And the sort of internalized capitalism from like hustle culture and from being like, oh, well, if I take a day off, it means I'm lazy.
0: Right. And like
1: that's equal parts capitalism in my mom for me. But <laughs> <laughs> always is. Always, yeah. <laughs> love. Love that. So it's it's been really powerful for me to take things that people would would see as flaws as imperfections, as outside the norm, and be like, no, I make money with that. That actually is why I am the best at what I do.
0: Yeah, and I think also because you were able to see that in yourself, yes. right? You were able to see what I, one of the things I love about your story and what I'm hearing with you talking with me about it is time and time again, you were like, well, this was an issue and this is what I did and this is what I learned. And then I learned that this was an issue and this is what I did. And this right. And it's like this this constant of what I think goes into a really powerful mindset, which is this combination of self-acceptance and self-love and resilience. And it helps you keep going. And when you were able to see all those things in yourself, even though I'm not saying I'm not saying you were like born like this, I'm not saying that these things aren't developed over time. I'm not saying that at all, because sometimes we do have to learn these things and and pull ourselves out of dark places. But when you have it, it's easy to see that in other people. I mean, yeah, I agree. When clients are coming to you and they're like, I don't know. You're like, no, no, let's look at all of these things.
1: Yeah, it's a reflection. And part of part of what's great about hiring a coach is like you can hire a coach to know that like. They have the confidence in you even when you don't. And it's like a very safe place to be like, okay, I'm feeling insecure about this. And your coach like has your back. And being able to have a coach who understands chronic illness and disability and neurodivergence and masking and the ways that like that wears on you, that's really powerful and I think that's why I serve my clients. So like, well, so impactfully because i'm able to be like oh no like that's just society like with that let's let's unpack that because <laughs> that's not coming from inside the house that's coming from outside the house
0: right and <laughs> the call is not coming from inside the house. right
1: <laughs> and sometimes it does because sometimes like your parents put the put the bug in there yeah. so like we, we i also talk a lot about like how childhood impacts us and in good and bad ways. Like one of the exercises I do to help people get in touch with their intuition when we're working like creatively, is like, think about the hobbies that you had when you were a kid. So like, I used to make a little town newspaper, like on notebook paper with a blue crayon. Oh, that's adorable. I know. It's, it's very charming. And I, I still have like storybooks that I wrote in like kindergarten and first and second grade. And I always loved writing and then in this exercise, I'm like, okay, how has that continued throughout your life? So like I was on the school paper, you know, I always really enjoyed like writing assignments in school, yada, yada. And now like I have a published book and I teach people creative stuff. Like I love writing and that's awesome. So, you know, if you, as a kid were obsessed with like dogs or horses, like how has that continued? Oh, I took writing lessons. Oh, I went to horse camp. Oh, I... Became an equine veterinarian. Like, oh, ta-da! That's your intuition talking. That's your intuition giving you like a nudge. Like, that's something that you love. That lights you up inside. That's your passion.
0: Yeah, and you know, when we're kids, it comes through so much more clearly our yes. intuition because we don't tamp it down. We don't tell ourselves that you're not going to get paid for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that because one of the things that you are vocal about, which I, I think is great, is the idea of finding your passion of yes. being creative and going into and and a lot of times that can be hard especially if it's somebody who is making the change maybe even from they don't want to continue with their their current career or their current corporate job because maybe it's become too hard it's you know i mean it's it's an unfortunate part of chronic illness sometimes it just happens where you're going to need to pivot i think a lot of people feel like well i can't I can't pivot towards doing my passion. I can't pivot towards that. I don't have that luxury because I I know I certainly felt like I had to stay in that corporate environment because I needed a paycheck. I needed insurance. I needed all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I can't do my passion. What are you even talking about? So talk to me about how that, how did that work for you where you were finally like, nope, this is what I'm going to do.
1: Yes. Well, for starters, I did plan to like pivot to another type of job. So it took me like a minute and I had sort of like a transitional, I had sort of like that, that transitional thing. So I worked for one nonprofit from like September through like early January. And then I worked for another nonprofit for like a month in like February, 2021. And then all the while I was still doing my coaching and stuff. And like banking as much of every paycheck as I could. I eventually saved up like 10K. That has dwindled, but (laughs) that's what it was for, right? It was there to support me as I'm growing the business. Like that's runway. That's like, I know that this plane is taking off. So like every dollar I can save is another inch of runway. Yeah. So then my plane could take off and I don't crash and burn. So, so I just sort of let myself be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. And I joined a launch incubator program that was like three months long, I think. And it basically taught me how to make an offer and launch my offer. And I launched a a membership program. So for creatives. And at first I called it like creatives against burnout. That was like my placeholder name. And then eventually I called it passion pacers. And that that actually harkens back to my running days because a pacer, like when you're doing a half marathon is the person who like sets a certain pace. So there'll be a pacer for like, if you want to finish in this time, a pacer for if you want to finish in that time, like so on. There'll be like, I don't know, pacers at at a bunch of different like time markers. And they're just there in an official capacity to like, for you to follow them. Cause they, they know that they're going to hit this mark. They've done this before. And so you just match them and then you get where you're going in the time that you want. And I was like, I can do, cause I, I have done a passion thing. I started a business. So like I sort of developed like this framework, which is currently under redevelopment. I'm going to be like, re- redoing the curriculum and like re-releasing a bunch of incredible things. I'm very excited about it. That's taking place in the next month or so. But basically it was like, okay, I can teach creatives to prioritize their creativity. And it's, it's been really cool. We have like about 20 members right now, but it's, it's growing and it's actually pretty stable. Most of the founding members have stayed in it for over a year now. So that tells me that it's it's doing something, and actually a lot of what we work on is not creative projects, which I thought it would be. Right? I thought it was going to be like, oh, this week we're all working on this thing, right? No, it's rest, it's permission to not have to go, 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 and that has been the most valuable thing for people. And also one of my clients, how would they put it, that their creativity is just as important and worthy of like nourishment as like their need to eat or drink. So it used to be that when they were super stressed, creativity was like the first thing to go. But now when they're super stressed, they know that creativity is like the first place that they need to go to help reduce that stress and like recenter. And that has been such a powerful shift for so many members. But the most valuable transformation has been like permission to to do something
0: just for yourself Uh, permission is so beautiful i love permission i love giving people permission to give themselves permission is you know and it and i love how you put it where i think with creativity a lot of times people think i have to start writing or i have to go back and ride horses but it it doesn't even have to be more than just a little something for yourself one of the things i think that really fosters that is the idea of quiet and and sometimes that is hard stillness is very difficult stillness is not that i'm not saying that in this little like oh just sit and be quiet and let yourself rest that can be in itself so hard it's
1: it's very hard it's it's hard for me it's something that i'm still working on and practicing because i I always want to be working especially now that like I'm self-employed right so I'll feel like well if I'm not currently offering someone a product then I am not going to make any money and I'm going to die
0: in the street I mean you have to sometimes you have to talk yourself down but you know like we talked about earlier where your own personal reality comes from you it comes from your mindset it comes from your thinking it comes from a lot of other things but it comes from from you and so sometimes, and I did this, I think a lot of people can um, relate. It's you leave the big corporate hustle culture, you leave working for somebody and you're doing what you love. If you haven't necessarily dealt with everything that you bought into, because we all buy in mm-hmm. to things or else we wouldn't be in it to begin with. If we don't deal with that, then all of a sudden, even this beautiful passion project business that we're working on becomes our own personal hustle and yes, yeah it can be sneaky because we love it but it's still kind of the hustle
1: right like there's so some of my some of my clients and passionate pacers do have like a creative business like we've you know they sell paintings for commission they sell jewelry but a lot of them just create for themselves so like they just want to connect with their creativity but not monetize it because that sort of tendency that and that's how it's hustle culture. It's like, well, if you're gonna have a hobby, it should make you money. And it's like, not necessarily. You are allowed to have things that you just enjoy for you. And that comes back to the permission thing. Like you have permission to not monetize your hobby. And then people are like, oh no, but that means that means it's just for me. And I'm like, yes. It's dangerous. Live dangerously. Ugh,
0: I love that. It is dangerous. It, it, it can be for some people. It's like, holy cow, what do you mean? Like yeah, I can do this and scary. not go on Etsy and sell it. And yeah. Oh, it's can. amazing.
1: You can just you can just live your best creative life all by yourself. Nobody ever even has to see it. But if you want to share it, do. That's great. Like I have a friend who I have this tendency to be like, oh my God, you could sell that. And I have had to like train myself off of it because she has no desire to do that. She just, she takes art classes because she loves it. And she paints because she loves it. And I have, I did it like a couple times. I was like, oh my God, like these would make great, like creative, like profile photos. Like, cause she did like, like a portrait, but it was in like, like mosaic paint, bright color style. It was incredible. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that would look totally dope as like my profile picture. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you could sell these. And I was like, actually, scratch that. Like, I'm sorry. I know that you don't want to sell these. And she was like, yo. because not everybody wants to monetize. And I I don't want to be the person who's like, yeah, monetize your hobby, monetize your hobby. Because like, I'm I'm literally the coach over here telling you that you don't have to do that. But even, even with me, it's still ingrained in there. I'm like, oh, what a great business idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's really funny how as we, as we progress just with growth personally or in our business or with our health to where we heal ourselves and identify more things and healing, as we do that, I think sometimes people get this idea, like all of a sudden your mind is like free and clear of all negative thinking. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's
1: a great one.
0: Yeah, because and it's like, no, that's, that's not That's perfectionism. At all
1: that's perfectionism. That's thinking I must be perfectly healed before I can do this. That is thinking like, I have to be ready in every way. And there is so much power and joy in just doing it messy. Like if you're a mess, just do it anyway. Like just love it anyway. Like you, there's no way, there's no way you can fix your entire life in order to have earned a creative hobby or a passion like you no, you just have to get out there and do it wrong and then learn
0: yeah or even not even to earn any kind of a hobby like earn validity
1: yeah right
0: to earn your spot in the world and how many thoughts do we have in our heads with like tens of thousands of thoughts every single day yeah. and there's going to be a few in there like you said where it's like oh my god you should monetize it and then you catch and you're like oh wait hold on yeah the the
1: the act of of catching the thought is very powerful because it is it, like having a negative thought doesn't mean you have oh, messed up, right? It's like, oh yeah. no. It's n- noticing that thought. It's saying, oh, wait, I don't believe you.
0: Or you know what? I just had that thought and I don't care. Right. Looking yeah. at it even with like a completely Neutral, there to look at me. That's my favorite thing. Like, look at me saying that. That's, that was, that was interesting. Look at, look at me having that thought in my head and, and not attaching immediate weight and importance and validity to it. Yes. And, but, and, and so I think that's, I, I love that you brought that up because it's like, yeah, here's somebody who is helping other people with these, you know, big, huge parts of their lives and you're still saying things and thinking like, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, that's not that's that's part of this whole backstory.
1: Yeah. And then even as a coach, you can take that and be like, oh, no, how dare I coach when I still have things like that. But anytime I mention that to my clients, they're like, yeah, that's why I like working with you, because you're not on some like pedestal acting like you're the expert, like you're still doing this work on your own, like beside me and also helping me stay accountable to my work. Mm -hmm. And there's just really something to be said for coaches who are messy, like right next to you. Like I'm, I'm always going to be messy. Like I'm
0: always healing. Yes. And honest, like an, an honest, authentic messy, not like the pretty messy right. that you see, like on social media or whatever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> people are like, Oh, excuse the mess. And it's like some immaculate living room. Like <laughs> I hate excuse the mess or like, I hate that. Like, Oh, pardon the picture. And I I catch myself doing it too. But I'm like, oh, no, pardon the popcans, we live here. Like, right. we, we had soda last night and didn't clean it up yet. Like, every, everybody apologizes for the imperfections. Right. But those imperfections, nobody would have noticed it if you didn't say anything. If you're not like, oh, I have a zit by my mouth. Like, nobody was looking at that. But now they are.
0: Well, and again, it's like the eye of the beholder, what you see as imperfection. Someone else actually might see as something that is, okay. Cool. Yeah. She's got a, you know, soda can in the back or I can be comfortable with this person. And it allows them to be comfortable with themselves because so many people are listening to this and they're thinking, like, oh, okay, I can do this too. Just like you did with Carrie Fisher, right? You don't have to be perfect in order to take that next proverbial step or or decide to just try to be quiet, which again can be hard in order to really find out what it is that you love or are passionate about and something that can help you heal
1: yeah for sure there's there's like so much power in recognizing that you don't have to be perfect Ugh, and letting I go love. of the perfection like diet culture is perfectionism right i would be like i i would go hungry because i i wasn't in the mood for carrots so i'm like well if i'm not hungry enough for these carrots I'm not hungry enough for anything else either. Guess what? I don't like raw carrots. I think they taste gross. So yeah. I was like placing these like impossible standards on myself. And that's what we do. Yeah. In so many ways.
0: So it's, many ways. Yeah.
1: We're just like, well, no, I have to meet this this weird standard. Nobody's ever actually told me. I just made it up because I think I have to, I don't know, achieve XYZ in order right. in order to rest. That's another thing that chronically ill people have trouble doing is resting. You have to, like, we have. First of all, everybody needs more rest. Like, everybody is working probably like three
0: times as much as they should be. Like, we're all doing too much. I love, I love that. It's rest is it's so important, and I think it's valued. But I think a lot of people don't give themselves those permissions because it doesn't fit in or it doesn't look right to other people. And and I think. A lot of times, especially when there's a chronic illness where there's fatigue or chronic pain or something, you feel like you're not doing enough as it is. I think that's a beautiful place to come to is realizing that rest is so important and giving up the perfectionism is so important and just giving yourself permission to just be like, you don't even have to be something, just be.
1: Yeah. Just, just be you. Like you don't. Actually, I had a post on my Instagram recently, which you might have seen in your stalking. But I was like, you don't you don't have to have a superpower. Like, you don't have to be the exception. You don't have to be incredible. Like, You just have
0: to be you. I love that. Caitlin, thank you so much. I You're feel like so I've welcome. taken way too much of your time. No. But I could talk to you for like another three hours. But OK. <laughs> OK, yeah. so tell everybody. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Yes. Okay. You can find me on Instagram at Caitlin Liz Fisher. You can subscribe to my podcast, Run Like Hell Toward Happy, where I talk about all things creativity, anti hustle, being awesome. I would say the best place to go right now is to get on my email list because I have a lot of cool stuff coming up in May. And I have a- another training called How to Prioritize Your Passion and Still Get Shit Done.
0: I love it because. Yeah. You are getting shit done. Yeah,
1: I'm always doing stuff. Like, you're, yeah. And I love it. And when I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, like, I should, I should rest more because, like, I really am doing a lot.
0: And <laughs> I, I think it. that's another thing that's, that is in the eye of the beholder is how much you need to rest. And it's different for everybody. Not everybody has to yeah. meditate for five hours a day.
1: That's true. Well, I think if I tried, I would explode.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, Caitlin, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate me. you, you being here. And I look forward to talking with you very soon. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit Hansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me and until next time, take care.